Good morning, everybody. If you had told me this time last year that I would be quarantined at home with my family with something called COVID-19 and preaching to you via recording, I would have said, come again. But uh, here we are. This is 2020. We're uh, thankful at our home. Our symptoms have been very mild. Uh, one of my major ones is I could sleep at any time. So I was thinking, hey, for those of you who enjoy a rest during sermon time, maybe we'll be on the same page today. I can't see you, but I know who you are. <laughs> We've also been able to, uh, because it's been mild in our home, find a humor in quarantine. Uh, our boys are doing their school at home for the next two weeks, and uh, Carolyn was earlier singing Joy to the World in her uh, festive and uh, uh, not just a festive voice but a silly voice as well and Jaden our 14 year old came out and said shh I'm streaming with school I don't want them to hear that so maybe some of you relate to some of that this year uh, at the same time while our case has been mild and, and we're doing okay we know that for others uh, it's been more serious uh, Kitty was in the hospital for a time and thank the Lord she's at home recovering uh, pray for her. Pray for Mark, who is in the hospital right now. Uh, we also know of some folks who have lost friends to COVID this year. Uh, some friends in our church uh, knew a married couple that passed away within a day of each other, both husband and wife. So uh, I think about this year, and I think about Jesus talked about to enter the kingdom of God, you have to have the faith of a child. Mark 10, 15, he said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. But I also think about how a year like this can wear on childlike faith. Um, it could bring us to a place maybe, where maybe we're close to the truth. Uh, because after a year like this, all the uncertainty we've faced in so many arenas, how do you really know what's true after all? I uh, can leave you jaded toward Jesus uh, because of our discouragement. And it could even leave us doubtful uh, if He can or will work in our lives. But here's my hope this morning as we watch a day of Jesus at work in the book of Mark, that it will move us from that to what we Oh, Jesus, uh, this powerful servant of the Lord that Mark presents in his gospel. I'm going to use that word O oh, as an acronym. We owe him openness, wonder, and expectation. And those are things we think about a lot at Christmas time, anyhow. Think about a young virgin in Nazareth named Mary as an angel came and she said to him in Luke 1 let it be to me according to your word you, you think of her openness and wonder and expectation and I just think that needs to be ours as well we owe it to Jesus and we need those things more than ever so as we dive into Mark chapter 1, verse 21 I'd invite you to open your Bibles I want to start by talking about this openness that we need to have to the truth of all that Jesus is. Verse 21 says, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So you say, who's they? Well, you go back to our last passage in Mark. He had just called the fishermen. 
Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And they're going to Capernaum. This is a fishing town. It's Peter's hometown. Became Jesus' home away from home, kind of a base of operations. It says he immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, before we go too far, one thing I'd encourage you to do this afternoon is to go on Google and type in Capernaum Synagogue Ruins, and you'll find the leftovers of a synagogue in Capernaum. Now, they believe this was built long after Jesus was there. This, these particular ruins, perhaps as late as the 4th or 5th century. But some have speculated and believed that this may be built on the foundation of the very synagogue where we find Jesus in our story today. So that's cool. But you say, what's a, what's a synagogue? Well, the Greek word means a gathering together. It was a, a place wherever 10 Jewish men were around the empire, uh, they would often build this place. It, it became needed and, and popular during the exile when they could no longer go to the temple. And they would go there on the Sabbath, but they'd also have school there on the weekdays for elementary kids. Sometimes they would have court cases settled there, minor ones. And each synagogue had some leaders, uh, one of whom would be responsible for getting out the biblical scrolls of the Old Testament, pulling them out on the Sabbath and putting them back. But one thing they didn't have was one set teacher. Uh, in the synagogue, any competent man could teach. Uh, if he was called on uh, by the leader. And we see this throughout the New Testament. Jesus would take advantage of this. Uh, Luke 4.16, in his hometown, Nazareth, says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So he would do this customarily. He would go to the synagogue. Paul would later do it. And he looked back, and he like, Wow, it's almost like God was in control when he facilitated these spreading all over the empire so Jesus and Paul and others could spread the truth of the gospel. But that's what's going on in Capernaum this day. Jesus got up there after the reading, the, the teacher, in this case Jesus, would sit down and begin to, to teach. And verse 22 says they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. There's something about his teaching that day astonished them. It says he, he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. What are, what are the scribes? We hear about them a lot. You've probably encountered that term if you grew up in the church. Well, these were the, the authority of the, the law. They were pros at interpreting and applying the law among the Jews. And uh, they would get into the finer points of law and debate. Uh, you could almost view them as, as uh, lawyers today. They would nitpick the details of the law. And they, they often found themselves in conflict with Jesus. But the way they taught was very different from the way Jesus taught. They, they would often say, Rabbi or teacher so-and-so says such-and-such, such, just like we do sometimes when we quote a teacher. But that's quite a contrast from the way Jesus uh, came on the scene. Uh, Jesus taught with authority. And that word can imply a unique knowledge, unique power. 
uh, where they said, Rabbi so-and-so says such-and-such, you think about passages like in Matthew 5 where Jesus would say, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Matthew 5, 28, Jesus goes on to say, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The, the audacity, the boldness, the authority to say, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, he would explain it on a whole deeper level. Uh, John 14, 6, you would hear him say things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, no Jewish scribe would ever say, I am the truth. Jesus said that. Uh, Matthew 7, verses 24 through 26, you hear him say things like, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And who, whoever hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Why? Because Jesus is the authority. When he speaks, it is God speaking. And Alan Cole said that Jesus must have seemed cavalier to these cautious and nitpicking scribes, you know, to, to speak like that. And that's why many were astonished when he taught. This word astonished in the Greek, William Lane tells us, it has overtones of, of fear and alarm, almost a disturbing aspect to his teaching. William Lane said this word reflects an awareness they had of the disturbing character of his presence. His word presented with sovereign authority which permitted neither debate nor theoretical reflection. It kind of confronted the congregation with the absolute claim of God upon their whole person. He went on to say that the power of Jesus' word is not merely his power to decide, but to compel decision. It's the same powerful word that he spoke to the fishermen and said, come follow me, and, and they did. So they were astonished this day in the synagogue. But what we're going to find out is it wasn't just his words, uh, but his actions as well. Verse 23 says, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, what, what you and I commonly call demons. And, and he cried out, what, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, in the ESV, it says a man with an unclean spirit. The Greek there literally means in an unclean spirit. This man that walked in the meeting that day and, and the demon in him that interrupted things means he was in an unclean spirit. It surrounded him and dominated him by its power. And this was something that left people in great fear. And, and for those who are aware of uh, demonic presence and oppression even today uh, can leave people with a sense of desperation. Uh, people would try different ways to deal with this. A. Rendell Short was one scholar who said he's studied ancient cemeteries. He's, he's looked at cemeteries, one where 120 people were buried and six of those people had holes bored into their skulls while they were alive. They could tell that by the bone growth around the, the hole. And the reason they would do that 
was for someone they believe was demon possessed to to let the the demon out. They had this desperation to the point where they would bore a hole in their skulls. This this is a power that people felt helpless against and, and still do at times today. This demon looks at Jesus and says, What do you want with us? And have you come to destroy us? This confrontation in the synagogue. The answer, had Jesus come to destroy them? Absolutely. 1 John 3 8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He was the stronger man who was coming to, to tackle the strong man. Right? And he talks about that in Mark 3. So what's Jesus say to this demon? It says verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing the man and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. This, When Jesus says be silent, it literally means be muzzled. He tells him to be silent. Verse 34, later on when we see him casting out more demons, we see him say he would not permit the, the demons to speak because they knew him. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But I want you to look at what the demon said to Jesus when, when he came in. You remember he said, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the, the Holy One of God. You ever wonder why the demon would proclaim openly in front of all these people who Jesus was? Well, I think for one thing, contrary to many people, they know exactly who Jesus is and they live in abject fear of him they realize his holiness versus their uncleanness and almost just comes out but i believe there may be something more at work here as well some scholars believe that at that time when it came to doing exorcisms or getting power over an enemy spiritually the way you would gain power over the other was by saying their name in its entirety so some believe that what this demon was doing in, in, in light of the current custom and ideas going around is say Jesus' name in an attempt to gain power over him. Not just Jesus of Nazareth, but the Holy One of God. He's going through these complicated gymnastics in this spiritual confrontation. Now you contrast that with Jesus. Jesus doesn't need an elaborate magical spell. Jesus just says, be muzzled and come out of him. And he does. And you think about what is going on here. I think of it in terms of chess, which is something Jaden and I have been enjoying the past few months at our house. This is a pawn versus a queen. <laughs> the, the 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 demon is helpless against this power. He's got his complicated formulas of saying Jesus' entire name. Jesus just says, be quiet and get out. And he does. Those of you Indiana Jones fans might might liken this like I did to to the scene in one of his movies where where one of his enemies shows up and, and does all these elaborate moves with these swords. While he faces Indy, and, and Indiana Jones just pulls out a gun. And pew! That's essentially what happens here. Jesus' power overwhelms 
this demon. And the good news for you and I is something that David McKenna said, that the same authority that aggravates demons awakens hope in the helpless. This man had been completely helpless on his own against this demon. And Jesus just spoke and it was gone. And I just want to ask you this morning, what do you feel desperate or helpless against? And I want to encourage you that the Jesus you bring it to is the same Jesus that spoke to this demon and it left. Just bring it to Jesus. You say, why, why did Jesus command the demon to be silent when the demon was proclaiming who he was in the synagogue? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Like, again, he does the same thing in verse 34. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Elsewhere, we even see Jesus telling people he healed to, to say nothing for a time. Why would he tell demons and people he had healed not to reveal who he was? Well, most believe there are at least two reasons for this. One, uh, early on especially, his hour had not yet come. And, and if those truths about who he was became prominent, uh, the opposition would come to a head, and it wasn't time for that yet. In time, that would come, but not yet. But secondly, many believe that Jesus wanted people to understand who he really was versus their preconceptions. So terms like Son of God and things could be easily misunderstood. Messiah. Because so, so many could only envision a Messiah who would overthrow Rome. That caused many to miss the, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who would give his life for sinners. But Jesus wanted to fill up the idea of Messiah in their minds with what he said and came to do. Like he said in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ralph Earl said it this way, he was not anxious to have his teaching ministry interrupted by the precipitation of a political revolution. He wanted to fill up the word before it got out there too far. Rather than proclaiming it too early and allowing their preconceptions to run rampant, he wanted them to be open to all that he is. Now think about that. That's where what I said the point was here, right? We need to be open to all that Jesus is. He wants us to be open to all that he is. What does that mean to be open to who Jesus is? Well, it doesn't mean being open to what just anyone says about him there are a lot of ideas about jesus we can't be open to all of them it means that we are open to all that god reveals about him in his word and i think about this idea of openness and i think there are a couple things to avoid one is to to never rest on biblical truth to to always be asking questions and never landing on certainty we need to rest on the biblical truth when we read a revelation of who jesus is we need to rest there but the second thing we need to avoid is being unteachable you say well what are some things that make us unteachable a couple of things that we need to 
watch out for is one our own presuppositions just like we talked about them they many could only envision someone who was going to overthrow Rome and that caused them to miss the the son of man who came to give his life as a ransom for many do you have any presuppositions that that keep you from embracing all that Jesus really is our past um, sometimes we've been exposed to teachings in the past Guess what? Just because it's in your past or just because you heard it when you were a child in church doesn't necessarily make it true. It may be, but you need to take everything that you've heard about Jesus in your past and submit it to the truth of God's Word. And if God's Word differs from what you learned in your past, then, then embrace the truth of who Jesus is, even if it means laying aside something that you, you treasured. Go with God's Word. And same for our preferences. Sometimes God's Word teaches us something about Jesus that doesn't line up with our preferences. Will we be open to God's Word? We must bring every thought captive to Christ. Everything needs to be checked against the Word of God. So those are some, some of our own presuppositions, our past and our preferences. There's also the false teaching of others. Uh, many of us, at different points along the way, have heard false teachings about Jesus. Some grow up in, in cults or churches where the Bible is warped or misused. You need to submit that to the Word of God and go with the Word of God. And then lastly, I'd say there's the constant working of the enemy, his lies and his doubts about Jesus. So be aware of those things. CenturyLink had to come to our house one time because our internet was going slower than than we thought it should be. And after looking around the house, you know what they found it was? Behind our television unit, there's a phone jack. I was talking to the technician about it, and Evan said, what's a phone jack? And we explained to Evan, back in the day, you used to plug phones into your wall, back before everybody only used cell phones. But as you know today, those are connected with the internet. So we had our internet modem plugged into another phone jack, but he said, well, the fact that you have your satellite plugged into that phone jack, it, it is interfering with the signal. It is sending signals and trying to talk with your internet and slowing things down. You don't need that plugged in there anymore. That's back from the day when caller ID would come in and show up on your TV. He said, unplug that and that signal will stop confusing what's going on and I, I thought about that wow what a simple fix just unplug something that's scrambling the signal and I wondered is there anything you're plugged into uh, when it comes to who Jesus is that is scrambling the truth of who he is and and unplug that stick to the truth of of the word of God I want to ask you are you open to the truth of all that Christ is all that he says all that he does, all, all that he is, or, or have you become closed off? We need to be open to who Jesus is. Second, we owe him a sense of wonder. We need to have a wonder of Jesus. But not just a wonder, we need to have a wonder of him that moves on to worship. I want you to see this in our passage, verse 27. It says, they were all amazed. Yeah, they'd heard his teaching now. They'd seen this demon come out with just a word. 
They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So you see this wonder, right? Verse 22, it said they were astonished at his teaching. Now verse 27 says they're amazed. Some of these words could be translated, they were struck out of themselves. They're like totally dumbfounded by what they see that day. Like they've been to a lot of synagogue services, but they've never seen this. And I think about what's going on that day. And what we get the privilege of looking into is what had been known for ages among those in the spiritual realm is now being seen in the, in the world of men. Yeah, they 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 wondered at him. They they were in awe. And you might think that they were in a good place. But I'm challenged by something that Jesus later says about this very town of Capernaum. Matthew 11, verse 20, says Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Verse 23 tells us Capernaum was one of those cities that were denounced because they did not repent. Jesus says, you Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. What happened for many of these people in Capernaum? What happened was their wonder at Jesus stopped short of worship. This is challenging. I think we have to ask, what's the difference between wonder and worship? And I thought about it like this. Wonder is surface level. Worship is surrender of the whole self to Jesus and repentance. Wonder is short-lived. Worship should be for life. Uh, if wonder is just curiosity, worship moves on to commitment and trust. And it is so important that we move on from, from wonder to worship. That's absolutely essential because our deepest needs are not physical. They're spiritual and eternal. We, in other words, need more than a miracle work. We need a Savior and a Lord. All of His works and words were designed for us to believe, to trust in Him. That's what John said in 2031. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So I hope you have a, a wonder of Jesus. Sometimes as we become adults, we get jaded, we get discouraged, and we can lose that wonder. We need to regain that wonder that they had that day. 
We talk about wonder a lot with Santa Claus and things like that this time of year. I think of uh, Tim Allen in the Santa Claus. He first shows up at the North Pole and he sees a polar bear directing traffic and all these things. He's like, I, I see it, but I, I don't believe it. And the little elf tells him, well, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. And he comes to believe and he's in wonder at all this. That, that's great as a fictional story. Do we have a wonder of Jesus, of, of God's power? Think of wonder throughout the Bible, the wonder of Moses at the, the burning bush, the wonder of these people at the synagogue that day at Jesus' authority and his teaching and power. Do we have that kind of wonder or have we become jaded? And then if we have that kind of wonder, please don't stop there. Don't just have wonder that fails to move on to worship. Worship Him. Surrender to Him. Repent and, and trust in Him. Let it affect all of who we are. Last but not least, just this sense of expectation. Expectation. This faith that Jesus has and will bring His power to bear in our lives. Man, do we need that. Verse 29. As immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. What do you do after church service? You go home and you have lunch, right? That's, that's what's going on here. But they get there and there's a problem. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now, man, fever is something we can relate to this year. We, we had one running through our house earlier this week. I know many of you have as well. But you see what Jesus does? He came and took her by the hand lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. I love what Warren Wearsby says about this. He said, Peter and Andrew not only brought their friends James and John home with them from the service, but they also brought the Lord home. That is a good example for us to follow. Don't leave Jesus at the church. Take him home with you and let him share your blessings and your burdens. One other man talked about the cost of following Jesus. Later, Peter would say, we've left everything to follow you, but also the blessing. He brought Jesus into his home, and Peter's mom's, Peter's wife's mom was, was healed. And, and I look at this, it just says, the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Most of you know, when you've had a fever and you've been sick, it takes a while to come back. Like you're kind of wiped out and tired. But listen to what William Hendrickson wrote about this moment. The, the power of Jesus with just a touch. The, the sheer power he has against that which we're helpless against. He said, one moment just before Jesus had taken her by the hand and had rebuked the fever, there were flushed cheeks, burning hot skin, profuse sweating, dryness in the throat perhaps violent shivering, 
The next moment, every symptom had vanished completely. Not only was the woman's temperature normal, but such a surge of new strength is coursing through her entire being that she herself insisted on getting up. She gets up and, and serves them. There's a Scottish family motto, a Christian Scottish family. Their motto, you know what it is? Save to serve. And that's what you see in this lady, the, the, the gratitude that comes when Jesus encounters our life. She just gets up and she can't help it but serve him and the guys. And, of course, uh, the word spread uh, throughout town. Probably about what happened with Peter's mom, but he, even more publicly what had happened at the synagogue to the point where, look at verse 32. It says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Now, Mark includes this detail about at sundown because the Sabbath ended at sunset. And prior to that, there were strict laws about distance you can travel and burden. So as soon as the Sabbath is over, uh, the people who have heard these stories spreading through the town start showing up. And verse 33 he, he says, The whole city was gathered together at the door. Think of the expectation in that crowd. After all they'd heard from that day, Jesus. And they weren't disappointed. Verse 34 says, He healed many who were sick with various diseases. And He cast out many demons. And He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew Him. When it says He healed many who were sick, can be translated all who had it badly. If you had it badly this year, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And just, just take a minute, put yourself in that crowd. Sun's gone down, the stars are coming out, and this massive crowd shows up at Peter's door. And think about the, the beauty of this scene. Many of these people may have limped there, groaning in pain on the way there. Some of them may have been carried. Uh, some of them were rampaged by evil spirits, just totally helpless against their power. But later on that night, after meeting Jesus, you see him walking home with smiles. And stories for life, stories they would never forget. Ralph Earl said, what a glorious sunset scene that was. Many people in Capernaum had their first good, painless sleep in months. The touch of the divine had brought healing and health. And man, their expectations were not disappointed. And what you see is Jesus restoring men to wholeness. Right? You see God's power. A lot of people throughout the Bible were aware that God had power. I think about Job, like Job knew God's power. Job 9 verse 4, Job wrote, His wisdom is profound, his power is vast. So he knew of God's power, but at the same time he was afraid to meet God. Like after in verse 4 where he said God's wisdom is profound and his power is vast. Verse 15, Job says, Though I were innocent, I could not answer God. 
I could only plead with my judge for mercy. Even if I summoned him and he responded, I do not believe he would give me a hearing. He would crush me with a storm and, and multiply my wounds for no reason. So he knew of God's power, but he was afraid even if he could meet with God, God would crush him. The beauty of this scene in Capernaum that day is we, in Jesus, we, we clearly see God's power combined with God's compassionate, gracious touch. See, Jesus is this servant of the Lord. Listen to what it says about him in Isaiah 42. Remember, Job said he would crush me with a storm, but listen to what Isaiah says, 42.1. Behold my servant, Jesus, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Here it comes, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. I think about all these bruised reeds that came to meet Jesus this day. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. You see God's power and compassion together on display in Capernaum. As word spread, people came, brought others with this great expectation. And I wonder if we have expectation, this faith that Jesus has and, and will work in our lives. Now there's some cautions with this expectation of Jesus to work in our lives. One, as mentioned earlier, is to stop satisfied with the miracle. Remember that His miracles, His work in our lives, points us to a relationship with the miracle worker. So don't stop at His hand. Move on to His heart, right? But the second thing with expectation, I want to challenge you, do not underestimate His power and ability to work in mighty ways. Don't underestimate Him. Bring your requests. Lay them before Him. The third is to overestimate our ability to control and demand when and how He works. Listen, sometimes Jesus works the miracle this side of eternity. But what about when He doesn't? One thing we need to grasp about his miracles during his ministry is they also point to his complete victory over sickness and death in the future for all of us who believe. His miracles give us hope even in the face of what many would call our greatest enemy, death. I go back to Job 
chapter 17, he's going through the heart of his trial. Listen to the heart cry of this man. And many may have this same cry today. Job 17, 15, he says, Who can see any hope for me? Will hope go down to the gates of death? Will we descend together into the dust? Many wrestle with those questions. Let's look back through them, looking back through the lens of Jesus. Who can see any hope for me? In Jesus, we can see hope, even in our trials. Will hope go down to the gates of death? In Jesus, yes. Hope goes down with us, even to the gates of death. Will hope descend together with us into the dust? Yes, why? Because he overcame death. I think about that, and I just think, man, do, do I live with expectation? Faith that Jesus has and will bring his power to bear in my life? I know this year is overwhelming. Last night about three in the morning, uh, some of the, the things we've been wrestling through with this year kind of came to a head, and Carolyn and I just took them to the Lord said, Lord, uh, some of this stuff is discouraging us. Please help us. Please help us. And and I had this picture in my mind, like sometimes uh, maybe you feel like this too, like a juggler, like you're juggling all these balls. And if you're like me, inevitably you feel like you, you're dropping some. But I just had this awesome picture of, of God and his power realizing that he is holding me. And even when I drop some of those balls, he's still got me and he's still got them all squarely in the palm of his hands. Have you brought your struggles to him, whatever they are? The expectation that he has and will bring his power to work in that situation, whatever's overwhelming you. And then who else, who else can you bring to him? By telling them about him or, or bringing them before him in prayer. You have that kind of expectation. As I close, I, I just want to say I know there may be some who hear this message and have a little skepticism. That looks at this and says, wow, what a, what a great day in Capernaum that was. But guess what, Scott? <laughs> we were not there. We're not there in Capernaum. It's true. Well, we were not there. But you know what? Jesus is here. <laughs> That's where the hope comes in. Same Jesus that was there working in Capernaum lives here. Matthew 28, 20, he told his disciples, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I think about God with us, and I think about something he wrote to Israel, um, some ideas that his children today can even hold on to, though, of his presence with us. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. 
think about the Psalms, when I think about openness to all that God is, when I think about wonder that moves on to worship, and when I think about expectation, and I want you to just close your eyes, walk through a couple verses with me in Psalm 86, a psalm I read in my quiet time this morning. Psalm 86, I, I first want you to think about, are you open to all that God is? And here's a great prayer, Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. There's a great verse to pray to help us move into an openness to all that God is, right? Do you have a wonder that moves on to worship? Listen to Psalm 86, 8 through 10. The wonder in these verses. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. You hear that wonder that moves on to worship? Then last but not least, you have that expectation, that faith that He has and will work in your life. Psalm 86, 1. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life. For I am godly, Savior, servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. And jumping down to verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Father, I thank you for this Sabbath in Capernaum where we get such an awesome look at Jesus, the Jesus who, who lives in your children today. And Lord, I know, I know firsthand the battle, uh, Lord, to, to lose that childlike faith, uh, to, to be close to the truth of who you are. Uh, Lord, to be jaded because we're so discouraged. And to, to grow skeptical of, of your ability to work in our lives. But Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in your children today. To help us have an openness. That you would teach us all that you are. All that Jesus is. All that the spirit within is. Lord, even if it means shifting our, our ideas because they were unbiblical. Uh, Lord, help us to be open to all that you are. Help us to have a wonder of who you are that moves on to wholehearted worship. Lord, and help us to come to you with expectation. 
expectation, uh, not just that you'll work someday, someplace, some other time, but, but that you can work in our lives today. We can bring the things that we feel helpless against and that you're the same God who spoke a word and demons cringed in fear and left. Same God who, who grabbed Peter's mother-in-law by the hand and fever just left. Oh Lord, we trust you with the timing. Oh Lord, we trust you. Help us to rest in you. Help us to shine the light of Jesus in this world. Bring your peace upon your people that we might be a witness to a world that needs the same Jesus that walked in that synagogue in Capernaum. Walked into Peter's home. Sat outside his door and met countless hurting people. Thank you for meeting us today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.